I'm Savannah. <laughs> I'm Alicia. <laughs> and this is Burden of Proof. I had to warm up my mouth like Sharpay. Oh. (laughs) Are you good? High school musical. (laughs) I lucked out and I've never seen it. How is that lucky? That's horrible. Because I was in my 20s. That's not lucky. You should watch it. You guys So I didn't yet have kids that, and my kids are now are not interested in it. They think it's lame. It's not lame. Sorry. You're wrong. <laughs> first of all, it's, and here's the thing. You watch the first one so that you have the joy of watching the second one. The second one is better. Okay. The third one is good too, but the second one is better. It's the summer special. Okay. Primo. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably just take your word for it. Dang it. I'll be honest. Probably not going to watch uh, it. So good. Like, maybe you can sit me down and force me to watch no, it. No, I don't. I, there's other things I'd force you to watch before yeah. I force you to watch that. Okay. Yeah. Fair. All like right. Twilight. Like Twilight. I know. I still haven't done that. And that's wrong. I've been busy you. with Drag Race, okay? That's fine. But I'm just saying that it's, you gotta, and just, it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> just, mm-hmm. I love Twilight. <laughs> I love Twilight. Don't okay. love I think most people your age love Twilight. Yeah, and we're right, and you're wrong. So <laughs> I, I'm not saying anything. I just said I haven't seen it. I know. I'm just kidding. A lot of people. Speaking think- of Twilight, on brand for this case, actually. Oh, it is. <laughs> that was a total accident. Not even on purpose. Yes. All right, everybody. Are you ready? Are you ready, kids? <laughs> Are you ready, kids? What's that from? Aye, aye, Captain. Good job. I, I actually didn't I watch do, Spongebob. So. I do know that because I have nephews that are about your, well, a little bit older than you. That I, actually wasn't SpongeBob. Even, I actually wasn't even allowed to watch Spongebob. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> As she said, Twilight's the perfect intro to the vampire cult murders. Da, da, da. Da, da, da. However, sorry to disappoint those who love vampires, but... um. I will put this disclaimer that I am choosing not to play up the vampire bit because as I did my research, I found out that like there's still people practicing vampirism, as they call it. That was news to me. Um, And it's very like they kind of glorify it. And I just don't want to play up that aspect because really like this is really once again, most of these cases are really about mental health issues. Yeah. And people's poor upbringing. So, yeah. So, we'll talk about the vampire stuff, but I'm not playing it up. Yep. I'm not trying to make it spooky. Dang. I should have done this case. I would have played it up. I would have made it spooky. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I think that Sorry. ethically, I you're definitely you, right. Yeah. Um, I think you would have done both. I think you would have done found sure. a good balance sure. of both. Any excuse to make it spooky, I'm going to make it spooky. Yeah. But I do think that ethically, you are... You're definitely handling it correctly. Um, well, thank you. Of course, you always do. I'm such an adulty adult. Adult. Yeah. Adulting. Good times. Yep. All right. So we'll jump in. I'm going to give some background information on everyone, kind of everyone involved first. So before the murders take place, we'll start with the Wendorf family. The Wendorf family seemed just like any other family in Eustis, Florida, a relatively small town in Lake County, if you're familiar. Where is that? So Lake County is about 40 miles northeast of Orlando. Okay. I know where we are. All right. Richard Wendorf worked as a warehouse manager at a bottling company. And Naomi Wendorf, otherwise known as Ruth. So from here on out, I'll just call her Ruth. She was a stay-at-home mom to their two daughters, Jennifer and Heather. 17-year-old Jennifer was by all accounts considered smart, pretty, and popular. She was a high school cheerleader and on the fast track to a full ride at FSU. Oh, that's party school. Yeah, I don't know how much partying she's doing after. Okay. Uh, 15-year-old Heather was almost the antithesis of her Mm -hmm. sister. 
also certainly smart and pretty, Heather didn't follow the likable path to popularity like Jennifer. Everything Heather seemed to like and do was darker. She dressed in dark clothes, dyed her hair, and ever the talented artist, her work was often quite disturbing to others. Unfortunately, Heather's behavior began to match her dark aesthetic. Heather's best friend, Rod Farrell, took dark to a whole new level. Um, his name is Rod. Mm-hmm. I've heard that before. It's normally short for Rodney. It's, in his case, it's, I think it's Roderick. Okay, or Roderick. Now I'm questioning that. <laughs> and I just used Rod the whole time that's in fine. my case because that's kind of, that's what he goes by, so. I just feel like in this case, he's definitely found the, the way to make his name as dark as possible. My name is Rod. <laughs> you could Rod be on my Phil. MySpace top eight. Yeah, he also had a... Oh, oh never mind. Darkness is dark. <laughs> Darkness is dark. Did he have weird hair? Um, Kind of. Let me look. I need to know what kind of he hair had, he had. Now, this took place in the late 90s. He yeah. had a very typical late 90s gothy hairstyle where it's like shaved underneath and longer on top. Oh, yeah. No, he has really long hair. Yeah. But he, at some point, he shaved it underneath. I see. If you're listening, don't look at pictures until the end because you will see spoilers as I just did. But you'll understand what I say later. Unless you're looking on our Instagram and you see it there first, I'll try and find pictures that aren't a super spoiler. I'm sure it's possible. Yeah, it is. It's just when you type in his name, the very first pictures that come up are spoilers. Yeah. So Rod was known for wearing head-to-toe black even on the hottest August days in Florida. I mean, even so at the was beginning I of the school grade. year. <laughs> well, or eighth grade. I didn't live here in seventh grade. Yeah. I think that, yeah, some kids, like I know my oldest would wear hoodies mm-hmm. to school. It's going to be 90 degrees today. What are you doing? She had her reasons. Not good ones. But she had him. I think right. it's pretty normal. But I'm pretty sure that she tried to s- not sit in the sun Yeah, when she would dress like that. But he would like purposely be in all black and he would sit in the sun creepily watching other students like it was an act of defiance. Like everybody took note of this. Oh, I'm so dark. I'm going to sit in the sun and be sweaty. <laughs> My name is Rod. I'm sure as a teenage boy, <laughs> he smelled phenomenal. And this was in the days oh, pre-Axe. So Can you he, imagine He didn't smell? even have Axe spray to co- and when you try see and his cover picture, it up. Like, he does not look like he smells good. As a t- yeah, especially as a teenager, I'm sure not. When out of school, Rod <laughs> could be seen in his front yard practicing his martial arts and wielding a samurai sword even, Hi-ya! Hi-ya! even reportedly implying to others, at least one other witness, that his sword was the reason there were no stray cats around. Okay, hold on. I have so many comments. Let me preface with, I know a lot of people who did martial arts and they are really cool. My brother did it for a oh, really yeah, long my time. Nephew, so yeah, my nephew cool. has his black belt. Yeah. I have a friend that I went to middle school with. Hi, Alyssa. And she is a freaking badass she's wrestler now but growing up like that's all she did was taekwondo cool also can be a massive red flag though yeah Um, especially when like yeah i don't know that he actually knew took lessons and like was part of a A dojo dojo a dojo dojo okay yeah i don't know that that was happening i'm guessing it wasn't because i don't think so and it's not the first time that we've seen killers use this as like a, a fear tactic yeah. to be like, I could kill you with this thumb. I know Taekwondo or I know karate. <laughs> like it's and for him to be like, yeah, I'm the reason that there's no stray cats. I don't know why I've decided that this is his voice, but I have. <laughs> so here we are. Um, He's very vocal fry. <laughs> he's very kind of valley, but mostly sad. <laughs> well, you're probably going to change that up when you hear like where where he's lived. Okay. Well, <laughs> for now. it's definitely not the... But it's yeah. kind of funny now. 
Yeah. Anyway. But it is. Yes. My point being, I just want everybody, if you're driving, don't close your eyes. But if you're doing anything else, I want you to stop and close your eyes <laughs> and just picture this, I'm assuming, teenage boy. Yeah. Like was- wearing black skinny jeans. And a My Chemical 90s. Romance. No, in late 90s, they would have been baggy. Okay. They would have been baggy jeans. Baggy but black, jeans. for sure. Uh, What kind of band t-shirt would he have been wearing? For him, probably like Slipknot. Okay. But he cut the arms off and it's just a yeah. tank top and he's got the skinny white boy arms, but they're like super <laughs> pale and a you sword. Just, you just, oh, well, no, that's what I started to say. You just described my husband <laughs> in the 90s. No, but he was never that pale. Yes, he was. <laughs> that he Italian blood? Yeah. No, he has fair skin. He just, because because he's half Italian, he tans well. Oh. And being in Florida. Yeah, but if he was out in the sun like this guy staring at people, he wouldn't have been. <laughs> That's true. He would have tanned. This but, guy wears sunscreen specifically But we were so in Northeast pale. Ohio. So that makes sense. Where it's cloudy like 80% of the time. <laughs> so he, my husband was not. He was very tall, skinny. Okay, but Matt has never held and, a sword. No. And he's definitely never... I mean, he might have held one, but he didn't own one. (laughs) (laughs) I think at one point he owned a machete, but that was... Hey, my brother owns a sword. It's fine. They're cool. But I'm. But my point is, I just want you to picture him... But you standing in the front yard... (laughs) Lunging (laughs) with the sword. This isn't the move. It's just funny when you picture it and you know that it's just going to end badly. And you're like, so this is this big bad guy? Yeah. But he's on his front lawn. Like, I played wizards on my front lawn with some sticks as a wand, right? But I was seven. <laughs> I was going to say, no, you didn't. When I was, like, but six. Seven, yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Okay. I'm being a, I'm being a okay. mean person. But it's okay. It's okay. So, Rod moved away to Kentucky, but he and Heather stayed in contact. In fact, Heather was getting in quite a bit of trouble from running up the Wendorf's phone bill with long-distance calls. Heather, I miss you. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) I knew you'd change it. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody watches my karate like you do. (laughs) Okay, so that's where we are. Okay. The little background... These are the the main players at this point. Those of you who fast forwarded through our stories, this is where you want to pick back up. (laughs) Exactly. You did miss me saying karate. We (laughs) apologize. We apologize for the for the banta. Okay. On November twenty fifth, nineteen ninety six, Jennifer Wendorf came home late for curfew after a night out with friends, hoping not to wake her parents. She sneaks into the dark house. She sees that her dad is laying on the couch, so she quietly goes to the kitchen where she turns on the light and finds blood absolutely everywhere, and she looks over to see her mother, Ruth, lying on the floor face down. Dad isn't sleeping on the couch, is he? She turns on the light in the living room to see that her father, Richard, is not just asleep, but dead. I always, 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 and such a tone shift in the room, too, when we're recording, hate when people come and they find mm-hmm. bodies in their home. This is where she's in high school. She's supposed to feel yep, safe. She's 17. And these are her parents. And like I said, this is her home, and that's a horrific thing. Mm-hmm. She also finds that her little sister, Heather, is missing. Jennifer calls 911 and tells them what she's found. And she actually impressively remained calm on the call. That's because she's an older sister. Yeah. That older sister energy. Yeah. When the dispatcher asks if her parents are breathing, she tells them she doesn't know that she can't get that close because they're her parents. Mm-hmm. Good. That's honestly, the. I, I think that's good. Yeah. Because she knew, I think, probably. I'm sure. With the amount of blood that she saw? Yeah. And the, yeah. <laughs> There's no way that you would even think that they're alive. The first officer arrived at the scene and quickly radioed for backup, confirming it was a homicide. 
Upon investigating the scene, they find that Richard was likely already asleep on the couch when the fatal blow hit him. As everything seemed in place, and most of the blood from him was pulled underneath his head and chest. Ruth was not so lucky, though. As it appeared, she had attempted to fight off her attackers, and there was blood and spatter everywhere throughout the kitchen and even into the dining room. Like, the room, Mm -hmm. not to get too graphic, but one detective said they even found um, skull fragments in the next room. Wow. From her. So I'm assuming I'm assuming dad was killed first. Yes. Because obviously he would have put up a fight if he had. Yeah, it would have woken. Yeah. It would have been such or a Or he would have woken up. Yeah. Needless to say, even the most experienced of the detectives in Eustace were horrified by the scene with one of them referring to the spatter as it was like a Jackson Pollock painting, mm. if you're familiar Jennifer tells the police at that time that her 15-year-old sister, Heather, is also missing, as is their parents' car, a blue Ford Explorer. She said to look into Heather's friends because they are a troubled bunch and due to recent events, she believed they may have something to do with it. Basically, she didn't know exactly what was happening, but her mother had told her that Mm-hmm. Heather was in trouble yeah. and was up to something that they, you know, so she couldn't tell them exactly what, but Typical she knew older it. sister stuff. Like, you know when something's wrong. Yeah. And and she did know some stuff when police are like, okay, what do you mean by trouble? And they push her a little further. She explains that Heather's friends believe themselves to be immortal and have non-human traits. If you couldn't be immortal, would you? No. I think I, I would. I, I don't want to be on this. <laughs> I'm already ready. I'm ready to go now. What are you talking about? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. But I, yeah, no, I, I don't think so. The Collins made it look kind of fun. You just get super rich. I mean, that, yeah, that would make it nicer if you can but get like, rich enough and as, just like move to different yeah. places and. As long as I'm like Twilight vampires, so where like there are options to kill me if need be, but I'm just really hard to kill, not completely immortal. Like I don't want to be alive when the Earth explodes or something, or the Sun explodes and kills everybody in yeah. a millennia. But like, Fair. you know. Anyway, sorry, I needed a palate cleanser because <laughs> this is graphic. Yeah, and I, I just, it's really hard to imagine anybody who's an older sister knows that like. When shit hits the fan in families, people look to you. Not in mine specifically, but like, yeah, I know that that's a thing for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just, I don't know. I'm feeling really bad for Jennifer right now. Oh, absolutely. I feel horrible for Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Beyond the trauma of finding them, of having that happen, like, she's at a rather critical point in life, too, mm-hmm. because it's not like she's a young kid that's going to hopefully go to a loving foster family or something mm-hmm. and and go through therapy and process this like she's almost an adult yeah. and she was getting ready to go to college like how do you deal with that and like at that point in your yeah, life yeah it's almost worse at her age because it's like then everything gets turned upside down for you exactly yeah I, I mean, feel it gets, horrible it gets for turned this girl. upside down for you if if you're little, but like you're right. Oh yeah, I, I don't mean to downplay that. I just feel like there probably would have been a greater support system put in place for her if she had been younger. Absolutely. And Absolutely. but because of her age, and it's she's calm like, and got well, it together. Yeah, and she's a good kid overall. That she's got, yeah. you know, people looking at her. Oh, she'll be fine. Mm-hmm. My heart breaks for her. Yes. Well, detectives certainly questioned, what do you mean, (laughs) non-human? Yeah. And then when pushed, she tells them, well, they believe themselves to be vampires. Not knowing if Heather is gone willingly, been kidnapped, or if she's dead too and they just haven't found her body, Mm -hmm. finding her becomes the detective's first priority. Mm -hmm. When telling police what she knows about Heather's friends, Jennifer also informed them 
that she may still be in contact with Rod, that Heather may still be in contact with Rod, the strange boy that used to live there in Eustace, but had since moved to Murray, Kentucky. I live in Murray. Sorry. No, that's kind of how it is. (laughs) (laughs) Despite not having much to go on, police attempted to track the whereabouts of Rod Farrell. They put out the description and tag info of the Wendorf's vehicle, and to their surprise, they get a hit in Seminole County, which is just one county over. Mm -hmm. When they arrived, they found that the plate on the vehicle is the Wendorf's, but the vehicle is not theirs. The VIN number on that vehicle belonged to a Scott Anderson from Kentucky. So funny. Detectives called Murray authorities, and with their help, they found that on and off, we'll say, is there prior to moving to Eustace. Okay. They found out that Rod's father, Rick, had left for the military service when Rod was just a newborn. And after less than a month of marriage, he divorced Rod's mother, Sandra. Okay. Now, after his time in the service, Rick came back and attempted to have regular visitation with Rod, but eventually discontinued contact. He and his family claimed that he would often have to get their attorney involved just to be able to pick Rod up without Mm -hmm. a fight with Sandra. At various times, Sandra Gibson is her last name. That's her maiden name. Um, had moved back in with her parents. So whenever she lived in Murray, Kentucky, she would move back in with her parents. And witnesses in that neighborhood reported that as Rob grew older, especially when they moved back to Murray from Eustace, they noticed that Sandra and Rod had a very odd relationship. Oh, no. They noticed that they both wore dark clothing constantly, but even more so what stood out was that they seemed to be more like friends than mother and son. And at least one witness said that they would see the two holding hands almost as if they were dating. And what teenage boy do you know holds hands with his mother? Like out in public. (laughs) I personally have never known one. No. No, I don't. Um, but does his mom also think that she's a vampire? We'll get to that. Oh God. Now keep in mind, I didn't I don't have this in my notes, but I will mention she was very young when she had him. She was sixteen. She was sixteen when she got pregnant with him, seventeen when he was born. So Okay. It's not unusual for very young parents to kind of fall into that. I'm friends with my because they kind of lost, you know, they lose out when they're teenagers. Yeah, they lose out on the late teens, early 20s, finding yourself, partying, whatever, hanging with friends phase and have to be mom or dad or whatever. So that's not unusual. But yeah, the holding hands thing for me was like, what? What? Yeah, that's, that's creepy. That's odd. That's weird. So. Investigators ultimately also found out who Scott Anderson was. I figured he, that you would when you said his full name. Yeah. So Scott Anderson had met Rod and Murray prior to Rod's move to Eustace. Okay. He was quickly drawn to Rod because he felt Rod understood what his life was like. The son of an alcoholic, drug-addicted father... Scott's family lived in a dilapidated trailer with trash bags covering the broken windows. So, like, that's how poor we're talking. Scott stated that his family was so poor, he would bring home leftover food from his job at McDonald's as a teenager regularly just so his brothers could have something to eat. Mm -hmm. He says that he was just happy to be Rod's right-hand man, so to speak. Something about this screams bad influence. Rod had also befriended a guy named, um, his full name I think is Stephen Jaden Murphy, but he goes by Jaden. So I'm just going to call him Jaden or Jaden Murphy. They had become friends prior to 
Rod moving to Eustis as well. Jaden, too, was growing up in a financially unstable home and had developed a survivor's mentality about the world in general. He literally uses the term kill or be killed in his interview, like the documentary about this. So this is years later. He's a grown adult and he still kind of has that like Mm -hmm. survivor, whatever you want to call it. They all regularly participated in fantasy role-playing games as an escape from their troubled lives, but things took a darker turn when Jaden was introduced to vampirism. I'm going to say it now, and I'm not going to say it again. D&D does not make you a serial killer, okay? (laughs) Some of us really like (laughs) D&D. That is true. I've known a lot of fine people who play D&D. Some of them might be in this room. So Jaden said that he felt that vampirism reflected his soul because the night called to him. I can't get through this without laughing. <laughs> do you want I'm me to sorry. do it in the voice? <laughs> let, me, let me try that again. Okay. It reflected his soul because the night called to him and it conveyed power in human blood. <laughs> you can't hold it together either. <laughs> the night it calls to me. I'm sorry, wait, they're in Kentucky. Nah, it calls to me. He surprisingly didn't have that deep of an accent, but still. Well. How do you take that seriously? Okay. There's nobody on this planet who could say that and me take them seriously. Yeah. Nobody. No. Not even like Henry Cavill, (laughs) the most serious actors of all, like nobody could say that and me not laugh. Yeah. Same. (laughs) It's very darkness is dark of him, you know? Yeah. So he claimed that the thought of it would send chills through him because he finally found his spiritual haven. His spiritual haven. Okay. I want to also comment on that. That the reason I find it so funny is because I can see how a teenager would talk like this. But this is, you are a grown man, sir, now being interviewed for a national or internationally televised documentary. And he's so serious about it. Like, he still takes it so seriously. Wait, so in the documentary, at that point in his life, he still thinks he's a vampire? I don't know if he still practices, but he still talks about it like... He talks about it like he does. It was serious. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. So that's why vampires don't come for me. (laughs) Yeah, please. You kind of scare me a little. (laughs) So as anyone who's just found their spiritual haven wants to do, Jaden's spiritual haven is Walt Disney World. (laughs) Well, and you want to share that with people (laughs) or maybe not because you're getting a pass all alone. I don't know. (laughs) No, I need to be by myself. I'm just kidding. No more people come to Disney. I don't want to stand in line. Well, Jaden shared his newfound path with Rod and inducted him into his vampire house with a blood ritual known as crossing over. It's like drag houses. <laughs> House of Murray. House of Murray. <laughs> Murray. Murray. Taking place at a tombstone they referred to as the birthplace. Oh my gosh, no, they didn't. They did mm-hmm. not go to a tombstone and cross mm-hmm. blood. Yes, they did. No, they didn't. They You're used, lying to me. Look they me in the used eye. razor blades. <laughs> Look me in the eye right they now. Used- Tell me. They used razor blades to cut Jaden's arm and Rod fed, quote, that's a quote, from him until he was satiated or the bleeding stopped. <laughs> I, I. Then they cut. Can ro- you imagine like being the security guard? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. It's in Murray. I doubt they have security okay, guards. Well. So then they cut Rod's arm. And Jaden would feed off of him. Jaden explained that giving your blood to someone is one of the most precious gifts you can give. And I personally don't disagree with him. I am a universal donor of (laughs) O-negative blood. I give regularly to save lives, not feed people. I'll buy you a cheeseburger, but I'm not feeding you my blood. No. And, like, even as a donor, you get a free T-shirt every once in a while. <laughs> like, movie tickets. You get movie yeah. tickets now. Yeah. I don't. 
<laughs> That's so funny. You're like, I agree. It's very important. Give blood. Seriously, though, there's a blood shortage in the in the U.S. Go get blood if yes. you can. The only time I can't is because I also tend to be anemic. So sometimes I can't. Oh, I don't think when I can. they test me. I don't think I can if you've had a tattoo in the last Within 30 so days. so many, yeah. And there's almost never <laughs> there's almost where I don't. You'll get there. After. I run out of space. You run eventually. out of space. <laughs> you'll get there. All right. So Rod carried on this bloody pyramid scheme, I'm calling it. By, <laughs> that's that's my term. There's so much banter in this that I'm sorry, but it's so funny. <laughs> Rod inducted Scott Anderson to it, who says it gave him the opportunity to dream about something bigger than the shit life that he had. Which, like, I, I understand, and that's depressing. Um, but also, you're not a vampire. Yes. But it is interesting, because in that documentary, they did interview somebody that studies this. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know exactly what her job is, but she has studied vampirism and she said that the majority of people who get involved in this are younger, like mm-hmm. teens or in their early 20s, and they tend to come from low-income, yep. non-urban areas. Interesting. Yeah. It's a suburban thing. Yeah. That so, is interesting to me. So, like, even country-ish people. Yeah. Country bumpkins uh, are still yeah. they're vampires. I mean, well, I get it. I if you're kind of gothy and you're living in the country, yeah, and you're you got no money and there's nothing to do in town, you don't need money, to and drink you blood. don't have, and you don't have, and you feel like darkness is dark, and you don't feel like anybody understands you, and then you meet people that are like, "Hey, come join," you know, because that's the thing. Yeah. Everybody's looking for themselves and community, and they want to be a part of yeah. something at that age. So well, I get also- how, as a teenager, you could get sucked into that. I mean, so, I would be done with the blood part. Like I yeah, said, yeah, I don't do that. I'll I'm buy you a cheeseburger. Myself. I'm not giving. I'm not letting you. I'm not cutting myself. I'm not letting you. No, but I will say the other thing. It's also when you live in a country town like this. A lot of them have their own folklore, and like, especially yeah. in, I know specifically like in Appalachia. Mm-hmm. there's stories and you grow up hearing these stories and you know you don't know if they're real or fake so it's probably pretty easy for them to imagine something as to us it seems crazy but to others doesn't yeah absolutely crazy is relative Un- unreasonable yes stick to the legal terms people get upset when i say the word crazy so yeah unreasonable and it is Appalachia. Don't come at me and say it's Appalachia. It's not. You're wrong. You're from North Carolina. I, I won't argue with you. You're not arguing, but somebody will. Okay. So, back to our story. So sorry. After inducting Scott, Rod introduced two other friends, Charity Kesey and Dana Cooper. The idea of this vampire house or family became everything to Rod. As he was building his family, though, Rod was forced to move to Eustis, Florida, when his mother became involved with a man from there. Rod seemed to like Eustis better than Murray, Kentucky, and found a fast friend in Heather Wendorf. He may have been happier, but as I said in the beginning, it didn't curb his draw to life on the dark side. He and Heather would hang out in a local cemetery regularly. When his mother's relationship ended, Rod was once again forced to move, and they went back to Murray, Kentucky. Let me back up just a second, because I mentioned that him and Heather regularly hang out, but I don't mention if he actually inducted her into his thing. I don't know. Interesting. I mean, you have to There's literally no proof, so I don't think anybody, like none of the sources that I found said for certain that, well, we know that she was inducted into this at this time. I have no idea. But I mean, I I would find it hard to believe that he wouldn't have. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And one of my sources did talk about how afterwards Heather did say things that made people go, yep, you are one of them. Yeah. So... You kind of presume, 
she d- and she did say that later on, you know, when interviewed as an adult, she did say, well, I kind of bought into the whole thing because it was like, it's kind of like a Hollywood thing. Like, yeah. maybe she was really, well, no. no. What year did that come out? No, it wasn't Twilight. It wasn't Twilight. We can't blame Twilight. We have to blame Dungeons and Dragons. No. <laughs> I'm just can't blame Dungeons and Dragons. No one is blaming Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. Dungeons so- and Dragons is cool. <laughs> I have a three-hour session tonight, okay? So we have to assume that she did at some point get inducted, but we don't know exactly when. Okay. Sandra's relationship ends. Her her marriage ended. And actually, now that I say that, I don't know if that's entirely true because I got that from one source. But then when I, now that I'm thinking of her testimony in court, I don't know that that's true. I think they just decided to move back to Murray. I think she was still married to that guy. Oh, but she just decided? Yeah, because they move constantly, and we'll get to that. But, okay, so anyway, whatever the case may be, who cares? They move back to Murray, Kentucky. According to Scott Anderson, Rod's confidence and charisma had exponentially grown while he was away, and once he returned to Murray, he no longer wanted to do things Jaden's way. No, because he had started his own family in Florida. And so now, I don't know. Well, Heather was the only one in Florida. Yeah, but all the other kids were. But I think because he was on his own Mm -hmm. in Florida and kind of it made him feel more powerful. Mm -hmm. Or maybe Heather just had that good blood that was even more powerful. I don't know. That's so funny. (laughs) So Jaden was an ethical vampire. With, oh, he was with like, the belief. <laughs> he was straight up like a colon. He was a vegetarian. Not exactly. But he believed that you only take what you need so that you do not harm the person. Rod wanted more and had no problem taking whatever he could, no matter the consequence. Yeah, but he says that. But like on a real note, I don't want to spoil anything. But is he just like snatching people off the street? Or is he just talking a big talk? He just he just talked about that. Okay. He just argued with Jaden that like, why stop there? Yeah. Like we'll become almighty powerful if you actually like drain somebody. And that's what Scott said. But Scott's stomach isn't big enough. Scott claims that Rod actually began to believe that taking someone's life by draining their blood would give him or he would gain or add to his own life. To become immortal. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. As Rod was gaining influence over his old vampire family again, he was also spending a lot of time talking and writing to Heather. The investigation revealed that Heather was telling Rod in letters that her father was sexually abusing her, which only added to the possibility, once police find this out, that her involvement and whereabouts like she's probably involved in this now now they're thinking like okay she's probably not kidnapped she probably has something to do with it at some point her sister jennifer either found evidence or figured out somehow that when they took off after the murders they may actually be headed to louisiana So, police notified authorities there to be on the lookout for the blue Ford Explorer. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to go over kind of Jada Murphy and Scott Anderson's. I've already kind of talked about that, but I'm going to go kind of further in depth into their stories as to what either they believe happened or what Scott Anderson says happened. Okay. I'm with you. So keep that in mind as I say this part. Jaden Murphy said that Rod really believed that it was this romantic story about him rescuing a girl he loved from an abusive home to welcome her into his family. But there was no proof that she was being abused. No, just her letters. Just thought I'd mention that again. Jaden also said that Rod was obsessed with the idea of this vampire family where everyone worships him. And that he must have finally crossed over from just believing that taking lives will empower him to actually doing it. He swears that it is not 
what he showed Rod, and it was never his intention to turn his spiritual practice into something evil that harms. Go off, so Basically, he's saying, don't persecute the vampires because of one <laughs> bad apple. Not all vampires are bad. The last time Jaden saw Rod, he said he snapped on Rod because of Rod's crazy behavior. And a few days later, Rod and his vampire family left town. Scott was with him when he left town. And Scott said the intention was to ultimately go to New Orleans. The home of the vampires, everyone knows. Exactly. And that's exactly what, (laughs) because they believed there they could find like-minded people or like-minded vampires where they could build their vampire house and have community. But first, they went to Eustace to get Heather. So Scott's version of events, according to his documentary interview, goes like this. All right. And after that, I'll share what some of the follow-up information that I found that like kind of actually, contradicts yeah. a, little, a little bit of what he says. Scott stated that when they first met up with Heather, she and Rod walked off by themselves for about an hour to an hour and a half. Later, they met up with Heather again at a spot about a quarter of a mile from the Wendorf's house. So he basically was alluding in his interview that Heather was in on this plan mm-hmm. because they, I believe they may have met at the cemetery when they first got into town and then she went about her way. They went about their way. But then the next thing Scott knows, oh, we're meeting up with Heather again, just a quarter mile from her house just before dark. Yeah. I can see how he would think that she would be involved. Rod told Scott that they were going to take Heather's parents' explorer so that they'd have something better to drive to Louisiana. Dana, Charity, and Heather then got into Scott's car and took off, leaving Rod and Scott to walk the rest of the way to the Wendorf's house. Scott said that they got into the garage and the only car there was the explorer. So he was thinking nobody's home. Okay. And that's why. So we're just breaking in. We're going to steal this car. And there's no ring we're gonna camera. Go. It's going to be fine. Yeah. We're talking 1996. Yeah. So no, no rings. <laughs> like. They're in the garage and Rod started digging around in the tools until he found a large crowbar. Scott then followed Rod into the house thinking, OK, now we're breaking into the house to like find money or yeah. steal s- supplies for the road. They see Richard sleeping on the couch, and before Scott could say anything, Rod started swinging the crowbar as hard as he could, hitting Richard in the head, and to Scott's horror, he kept going. Scott claims that he yelled, what are you doing? To which Rod yelled back, asking what he was doing, (laughs) like, what are you doing? And then demanded that he go find car keys and money. As Scott then, I believe, was in the dining room area looking, digging around or looking for anything he could find, he looks up and he sees Ruth. But before he can say anything, Rod steps between them. Scott claims that at that point, Rod didn't even look like himself, that he looked like the devil himself. And he said, quote, he did more to her than he did to Heather's dad. They then take the Wendorf's Explorer, met up with the girls, and changed out the plates and all of that business, and headed to Louisiana. Scott claims that as they were driving, Rod told the girls what happened, and while Dana and Charity both sat shell-shocked, Heather's reaction was obviously upset, but he says that it was off somehow. She freaked out. But he says, looking back on it, he sees that, like, there was something just not it quite right about fake, it. It was kind of fake, yeah. Like I said, despite Scott telling this tale of events for the documentary, according to the Orlando Sentinel article in my sources, he admitted to detectives at some point during the investigation that Rod killed Ruth because he couldn't do it. So he knew he was supposed to kill her? But didn't know that that's what they were going to do. I don't know. 
I don't know if that that's kind of all they say. And I won't say that it's impossible to find like the full interviews. It's not. I just didn't see any interview with Scott. I didn't watch every minute of things, but I saw clips of interviews with the girls. And I saw clips of Rod's interview with police. I did not see anything with Scott. So I couldn't like listen to the actual interview and tell like well, yeah. what did the tone did Rod was... did he mean Rod told him to kill her and then he couldn't yeah. do it so that I'm not sure we'll make a judgment at the end how we're thinking so Rod's demeanor grew more and more paranoid over the days as they made their way to Louisiana uh-huh. but they made it to Baton Rouge where they stopped and disposed of the crowbar in one of the many waterfront areas mm-hmm. They began running out of money, and so Charity convinced Rod that their best option was to call her mom or her grandma. Detectives then get their big break on their whereabouts when Charity calls her grandma, and they were able to get the number off the payphone she used and track its location. So they must have already had people, like, at all yeah. of these kids' families. They, they I mean, they were... Doing their darndest. They did their job. Once the police have a team in place in Louisiana, they convinced the grandmother to cooperate and call Charity back and arrange for them to check into the nearby Ramada Inn. Mm-hmm. And on Thanksgiving Day, 1996, police arrested all five teens. When questioned, Rod admitted to the murders... But he told police that Heather knew everything about it the entire time. Okay. Heather, of course, denied it. I mean, listen, the only thing I'm going to say is that we've seen this scenario a ton. Like, I'm thinking of the Twilight murders because obviously Twilight vampires. But, like, we've seen it, you know? Yeah. Girl says parents are abusive. Guy says let's kill parents. Yes. It, It happens. I struggle to believe that she didn't know, considering she didn't go with them to steal the car. That's a good point. It's your house. You would know where the keys are. You would know know how to get in the garage. Yeah. Why would you leave other than to cover your own hide if they were to get caught or Mm -hmm. when they go in to kill your parents? Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Scott didn't believe that he didn't know for sure. All he knew to tell the police was that Rod believed that he was saving this girl from abuse. And they saw that in the letters that she wrote. Mm -hmm. But in the letters that they found, there was never any mention of like, yeah, let's kill him. Yeah. But they also, remember, they also talked a lot on the phone. Mm -hmm. So... It's not out of the question that she was very careful and, like you said, covered her own butt. Now, from the clips of the interviews that I saw with Dana and Charity, they definitely talked, but how much they actually knew is questionable. Mm -hmm. I've seen different things in different sources on them, like how much they knew beforehand and, and whatnot. So, okay. So here we are. Obviously... These kids, like, there's evidence. Yeah, there's... <laughs> there's evidence. We're not going to get out of this with a not guilty. Yeah. So, Scott Anderson was charged with principal to first-degree murder and pleaded guilty to avoid the death penalty. Yep. He was sentenced to life in prison, but... Wait, Scott? Yes. But later... Now, rem- you got to keep the timeline in mind because now that wouldn't ha- have happened. Yeah. But... Later, after, I I can't remember exactly when it happened, but I think it was in 2005, somewhere around 2005, his sentence was reduced to 40 years after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that minors, you know, should not automatically receive life sentences for anything less than actual homicide. I was going to say, because he didn't actually kill anybody. He just was aiding, basically. Yes. And he swears up and down. He didn't know. But at the time. They could just. And he fled. Like yeah. in his 
interview with the documentary, he gets upset because he's like, if I had just not gone into flight mode and like stayed and let him take off or whatever. But who knows? Also, who knows? How do you know your friend? You know, vampire man is not going to kill you. Isn't going to kill you. Exactly. That's my. That's why I'm kind of shocked because. At some point, him fleeing from police or him staying with Rod is duress, and it's not. Yeah, I don't know. But at the time, I think it would be. I think it would just, be different if it was tried today. I do think it would be different. Oh, absolutely, because the laws are so. Well, the sentencing yeah. laws are different, but I also think that I don't think that they would be able to charge him with what they charged him with. Well, principle just means that you were there, you witnessed it, and you didn't do anything about it, and you well helped. Yeah, true. After the fact, try and whatever. Dana Cooper and Charity Kesey were both convicted with principal to third degree murder, mm-hmm. armed burglary, and principals to armed robbery. Because they knew they were stealing the car? Yes. Okay. Dana received a sentence of 17 and a half years and was released from prison in October of 2011. That seems like a really long sentence. That's what I thought. For somebody who didn't really do Who was anything. a minor and didn't... All she did was run away from home, basically. Like, logistically. Yeah. And know that they were stealing a car. But how many teenagers know that your friends are doing something they're not supposed to do? Yeah. Charity received a sentence of 10 and a half years and was released in March of 2006. That's still a long time. That whole thing kind of confused me. But again, these kids you know, pled guilty because they were guilty and obviously the evidence, but they did not have, um, I don't know what Scott's trial, I feel like maybe he would have, but had a a sort of like a sentencing hearing or trial. Um, but I didn't find that it wasn't the big deal because yeah. you know heather and rod were the big deal yeah absolutely so but i am shocked by how long they served yeah me too because they were minors well at, at some point like at some point they're also victims as well because like i said they had to have been scared yeah you have a bloody crowbar in the back how do you know not know that if you say i'm gonna go home i guess because they're all vampires so oh. they were like oh well I'm immortal, so you're immortal. You knew what you were doing. Doesn't matter that you're 16, 15, 16. Well, yeah, 10 years in jail is nothing if you're immortal. So I forgot about that. There you go. (laughs) Heather Wendorf was detained and held until January of 1997 after two, two different grand juries refused to indict her. What? Why? There was no evidence that she knew. There's no hard evidence. There's not. It was right. his word right. against hers. Because like I said, the letters You're right. never said that. And I don't really know firmly if I believe that she did or didn't because I don't know what she said. Right. I'm well, just saying that like Murphy's Law and if it looks like a duck and it talks like a duck. Sometimes it's a duck. Most of the time it's a duck. Sometimes it's a goose. Sometimes it's a goose. <laughs> well, you're you're not alone. Speculation on Heather's involvement lingered for years, but she was never charged. But how come she didn't get charged with the same crap that Dana and Charity got charged with? You know, that's a good question. She told him to go get the car. That's a good question. Just saying. I don't know. But they had two grand juries and neither of them chose to indict her and she was never charged. Even well, after that. The reason is because prosecution kept trying to nail her for the murders. Possibly. That's why they didn't, because nobody pressed the charges. Yeah. But they should have. And She's the one who knew. She moved on with life. She moved in North Carolina, actually. That's so unfair that she got to just walk away and the other two girls did not. Yep. She um went to art school, eventually married, and had kids of her own. Now for Rod Farrell. The Grand Vampire. Rod pled guilty to two counts of first-degree murder. There was really no other option for Rod as he had already made statements admitting to police. And they had all kinds of physical evidence showing that he was there, that he, you know, did it, including fingernail scrapings from Ruth. 
and boot prints throughout the house. Because apparently when Ruth caught on that, like, oh, you're here to, like, kill me, she threw her tea. She had a cup of coffee or tea in her hand, and she threw it at him, and then she scratched his face when he came As she should. Her. They also had witnesses who knew Rod from his time living in Eustace, ready to testify that they had seen him in town the day before. Yep. So even if he made it out of state and then was like, I live in Kentucky. I was never there. No, you've been seen. The state of Florida required a sentencing. I don't know what you call that. A hearing. It's not, but it wasn't just one hearing. It was like days. Like you look up the videos. It's on courttv.com. Yeah. And it's days of testimony from multiple people. I mean, it's probably still called a sentencing hearing. It's just a really freaking long one. Yeah. So basically, that was just, even though he pled guilty, it's yeah. to present both aggravating and mitigating circumstances to the jury so they could make the recommendation. Your favorite thing. They make the recommendation as to the sentencing. We all know I love when juries make recommendations for sentencing. Basically, the choices were the death penalty. Or life without parole, but he was 16. (laughs) So you may ask, how does anybody get the death penalty? At the time, the death penalty was allowed in anyone 16 and older in Florida. The state's aggravating circumstances were pretty much what you'd expect, mostly just physical evidence and witness statements to prove that the murderers were premeditated. Yeah. The defense team displayed every mitigating evidence possible. <laughs> like, this They're was lengthy. Yeah. It included witness testimony from family, friends, law enforcement, and three different doctors. Uh, I believe two were psychologists and one was a psychiatrist. In the hopes of getting Rod life in prison, they wanted to show how severely affected he had been from his upbringing. As it turned out, his father leaving and his mother being, well, unconventional, was just the tip of the iceberg. Rod had to fight obstacles from the moment he was born. They tried to show that he may have suffered brain damage to a certain extent, um, both at his birth. The umbilical cord had wrapped around his neck and he lost oxygen at that point. That's a relatively common occurrence, but still, they're trying to do everything they can. Mm -hmm. He later suffered from a temporary condition when he was about two that caused what Sandra Gibson described as seizures. Like, she didn't know if they were seizures. Mm -hmm. She couldn't remember, (laughs) which as a mom, (laughs) like, whatever. Okay. He then went on to... I hate to say suffer, but suffer, a childhood of constant instability with Sandra moving him back and forth from mostly from Kentucky to Florida, never staying in one place more than a few years, but often only a matter of months. For a portion of his childhood, Sandra left him with her parents in Kentucky when she moved to St. Louis, Missouri, and started working in a nightclub as a dancer and then became a sex worker. And she admits, like, through many of these years, she was on drugs. Mm -hmm. She admits that. Now, her parents, when he was with them, her parents were strict churchgoers and regularly took Rod to their United Pentecostal Church. Rod claims that his grandfather's friends raped him when he was as young as five years old and that his grandfather himself would sexually abuse him. Of course, how do you prove you can't that? prove that. But I will say that I did in one of the articles that I read, his aunt, Sandra's sister, did at some point come out and say that their father had sexually abused them when so they were it's, young. it's reasonable to assume. But I don't know. I didn't see anything where Sandra says that. So... It's yeah, but still, why would her sister lie? Yeah, I don't well, know. Well, and, and that kind of abuse tends to be generational, unfortunately. Yes, absolutely. Later, when Sandra moved him to Eustis, it was because she was marrying 
a man who she simply describes it as he was involved in the occult. And Rod began using drugs and playing Dungeons and Dragons with him. Because you know that Dungeons and Dragons game. Stop it! <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, everybody, let's sing a little song. Be careful who you have around your children. Yeah. <laughs> it was evident when they moved from Eustace back to Murray that Rod was spiraling. He wasn't happy to go back to Murray. I think he liked... I don't know. I don't know if he just like that that was pushed him over the edge, if he missed Heather, if like who knows. He was probably just tired of moving. But Sandra didn't really do anything to help. In fact, she admitted that instead of like disciplining him or pursuing mental health treatment or anything like that, she mostly just socialized with him and his friends and his girlfriends. Finally, it became evident during her deposition that Sandra was much more involved in the whole vampire world than she wanted to admit. She described the problems that she had had with Rod's friends, including that she had been raped repeatedly during ritual sessions by teenage boys. Then maybe stop hanging out with them like they're say, your friends. You were there. So you're admitting that you were there. Not victim blaming at all. Absolutely not. But we're saying that, like, she said she was hands-off with this, and it's proving that she was. Yeah. And that's horrible. Then she's asked on the stand why she would have written letters to a 14-year-old boy attempting to solicit sex for a ritual practice. Well, if, you're- if you were being raped, but then they found this letter that you wrote to the to a 14-year-old boy. What, to a 14-year-old. Here is her reasoning. She claimed that that boy was Jaden Murphy's little brother and that she did so to get back at Jaden for him going around telling people that she was his woman. So we can't... So what I'm hearing is that we can't really believe anything that she's saying because this is all incredibly unreasonable. I thought about, like, just... You know, Avoiding. skimming over a lot of this stuff, but I wanted to show you all just the mindset of this woman. Like, and this well, and is the person who raising, raised yeah. him. So it's not shocking that this kid took the path that he did because this is his role model. Yeah, I don't really know what to say because I don't, I don't want it to ever think like I'm saying she is lying or that she wasn't assaulted. No, I don't think she's lying. I don't I think, think she's that lying she's, either. But. I think that she was acting just like these teenagers. Yeah. Like, I think she well, did not have the say, emotional maturity. Yeah. Let me say, he's not just hanging out with teenagers either, though. They are hanging out with some of them were grown men who were probably around the same age. Oh, probably. Like, the people who it because gets she handed was old, down. Because she was young yeah. and she had him. So... But still, but Jaden Murphy, parent. I think was he might have been eighteen at that time. Like once they moved back to, but he was also a teenager. But like at the end of the day, you're the parent. Although, oh well, yeah, that's what like I'm she saying. Was no ever to him. No. Anyway, regardless of this clearly disturbing life. <laughs> yeah, because I don't really know what to say. Like everything you say sounds controversial and like contradictory about it like I don't know what to say about it yeah I I watched her testimony as well as Rod's grandmother on his father's side I watched her testimony and some of what they said about the other was contradictory and who knows that being said like that just shows you how messed up this kid grew up yeah with these people who shouldn't be having kids apparently clearly these mitigating factors were not really enough explanations not excuses yeah to sway the jury and the jury and the judge agreed that he was still 100 percent culpable and they sentenced him to death he's 16 he's 16 but that was possible if you for homicide and you were 16 or older that's crazy in the state of florida at that time you could be sentenced to death and actually, the, the defense attorney in his opening statements talks about the fact that he had just turned 16 right before this happened. He's basically 15. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
but like where do you cut you know but that's that's how it goes so in 2005 though like i said with the scott anderson thing uh the u.s supreme court ruled that the death penalty is unconstitutional effectively changing rod's sentence to life without parole and then his sentence was reviewed again in 2020 after the U.S. Supreme Court deemed life sentences without parole should not automatically be given to those whose crimes were committed as minors. So for those of you who don't know, when that law or when the Supreme Court ruled that every case of somebody who was a minor and mm-hmm. got life without parole had to be reviewed. Yes. So there's a lot of cases that were tried and they would have different outcomes now. Yes, and we talked about that in the Christmas killings. Yep. In his statement addressing his decision to affirm Rod Farrell's life sentence, Judge G. Richard Singletary said, quote, It is the court's responsibility to evaluate whether the defendant was the juvenile offender whose crimes reflect unfortunate yet transient immaturity, or the rare juvenile offender whose crime reflects irreparable corruption. He, of course, said, you are irreparably corrupt, and affirmed the Rod Farrell is still in prison to this day. Which I think is fine. They, I just can't believe that they gave him the death penalty to begin with. So young. Yeah. But what county was he tried in? I assume Lake County, because that's where it happened. Okay. I'm just being curious. I did not look up that detail, though. So there you have it. Wow. Teenage killings. I do love, I do love these cases. For some reason, they just scratch the true crime itch in my brain. Like, so I love them. Yeah. And this one was particularly comedic for us. I'm sorry. (laughs) But like. Well, I mean, the. Yeah. Well, I will say. Side note, you're wearing a Blondie t-shirt, and every time I look over, I just picture him as a different member of the band. (laughs) I love my Blondie t-shirt. Especially the one who's on the Great British Bake Off now. That's so funny to me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, good job. Thank you. Thanks all for listening. Thanks for keeping up with our... Our banter. Yes. Hopefully we didn't confuse anybody. Hopefully not, but I I think we're fine. Yeah. If you made it all the way to the end, um, go leave a comment saying Blondie, and we'll give you a special shout shout out. Uh, means you made it to the end of the episode. We love that. Thank you. Yes, 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 yes. All right. I think that's all we've got this week. So next week, till next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod, and email us at Burden of Proof Pod at gmail.com.